Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. I uh, want to direct your attention to uh, the passage of Scripture that will serve as the basis of, of my message this morning. And there we go. It's up there on the screen, the text. But I'm going to read to you this passage. If you have your Bible, you can read along. I don't know if it shows up up there or not. Since I'm a new guy here, I'm still trying to figure things out. But whatever. I'm going to be reading to you this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 11. And by the way, this comes right on the heels of Jesus' uh, encounter with Zacchaeus. If you know that story. Now, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds and said to them, do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by their trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small thing, take charge of ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. He said to him, And you, you rule over five cities. And then the other came, saying to him, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you, because you were a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money into the bank? Then when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to those bystanders, take the pound from him and give it to the one who has ten pounds. And they said to him, but Lord, he's already got ten pounds. He said, I tell you, all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the preaching, and our response to this God's word. Would you pray with me, please? on this day in the midst of summer in which so many are scattered here and yon we thank you that we can gather here in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you 
to experience community together, to also hear from your word, instructions that we want to be able to apply into our lives in the days and weeks ahead. Be with us this day, O oh Lord. Help us to listen with fresh eyes and open ears and warm hearts. Speak to us, Lord, so that this church may be equipped to do the work you've called it to do through the individuals of this congregation, both when they are gathered, but also when they are scattered, so they might be your presence in this community and in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grew up in a family that was dominated by a family business. Now that's not our actual service station, but it looked a lot like that. My dad was in the service station business and he had, and I worked with him in an Amico station that looked an awful lot like that. I wish I had a picture of the real thing today. I grew up pumping gas and fixing flat tires and changing oil and all that kind of stuff. It, it really was a family business. Because even though we were part of other groups such as school and church and things in the community, that service station really kind of served as the focus of our family life in all kinds of ways. In the early years when my dad was starting his business, he had to spend a tremendous amount of time working, you know, all hours of the day and sometimes seven days a week just to get it going good. And because his schedule was so demanding, we really didn't have a whole lot of vacations when I was growing up. We would uh, occasionally go to the beach for a weekend, a long weekend, or we would go visit relatives. My mother was one of seven, so we had relatives scattered all over the place, but we just didn't do a whole lot of big vacations. That's why the vacation that we took during the summer between my eighth and ninth grade years was so awesome, so phenomenal, so amazing. You see, amongst those seven of which my mother were a part, she had a brother in Arizona and a sister in California. And I don't know where my parents found the time or the money, but that particular year we got on an airplane in Charlotte and we flew to those what for me were very exotic places. And we had this two-week-long vacation as a family like, like none other we ever had before or since. So why in the world didn't we take more family vacations? And why was this one of two weeks duration so rare? Well, there were a lot of reasons, I'm sure. All kind of reasons. But I think maybe the main reason was my dad was afraid to be away from his business for that long. I mean, he was concerned that maybe something might come up that his employees just wouldn't be able to handle. And so he worked very hard at this particular time to prepare not only himself, but also his employees to be able to take care of the business while he was away for this, what for us was a very long trip. Our vacation would be a test to see just how well everybody related to that business would be able to perform 
while my dad was away. Well, I believe this parable of the pounds, as it's called, the parable that we read just a moment ago, describes kind of a similar situation from Jesus' day. It's about a businessman who goes away on a trip and he leaves his employees in charge. Now, it's similar but not exactly the same as the more familiar parable of the talents found in Matthew 25. Usually when we think about this particular story of Jesus, we think about Matthew's version more than Luke's version. In both parables, though, there's a lot of similarities. There's this guy, this businessman, so to speak, who goes on a journey and leaves all of his affairs in the hands of his servants or his employees. In both of the parables, when he returns, he demands an accounting of their performance. In both cases, there's kind of a high achiever, a moderate achiever, and a very low, basically do-nothing kind of achiever. In both parables, the high achiever gets us, and even the moderate achiever get a reward, and the low achiever gets punished. The parable of the pounds, though, this passage from Luke, has something else that the parable of the talents does not have. We see in the parable of the pounds, there's a second storyline imposed over that main storyline. In the parable of the pounds, the boss is this nobleman who goes away to a foreign land where he wants to get royal title and really uh, a chance to exercise his rule or his dominion over this other land from an even higher king type person. Problem is some of the citizens in the country hate this guy. And they send a delegation saying, we don't want him in charge of us. Please, don't, don't let that happen. And because of the boss's very low popularity rating back home, conducting his business would not have been easy for his employees, these slaves. Well, the protesters, what, what they try doesn't work. They're not successful. He ends up getting this gig anyway, and he's made king over their land. When he returns... There's a time of judgment, not only for his employees, but also for those who were against him. But what I want to focus on for this morning, though, is the nobleman's instructions to his servants just prior to going on this journey. The key phrase is found in verse 13. He says to them, do business until I come back. Do business until I come back. This is a pretty young crowd here, but maybe that recalls to mind Bachman Turner Overdrive from 1973 and their big great hit. I wonder if we could get, Caitlin, could we get the band back up here maybe to do that song for me right now? Would that be a possibility? It's a great song, great song. So here's a, here's some questions for us this morning. What was Jesus trying to communicate in this parable? What did it mean for his disciples who first heard it? What did it mean to the large crowds who had started to follow Jesus? And what does it mean, very specifically, for Mosaic right now? as you navigate this transition 
between one leader and another. Well, I think this parable addresses several important aspects of our business as disciples of Jesus. Beginning with understanding the business. Understanding the business. See, it was clear to Jesus that the large following he had attracted, and probably even those 12 disciples, didn't really understand what Jesus' business, his mission, really was. It's this whole misunderstanding about what Jesus was about that prompts Jesus to tell this particular parable. Verse 11 states, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. You see, the people of Jesus' day were looking for a Messiah. Many would-be Messiahs had come and gone. And the people had a very clear idea of what they thought the Messiah would be and do. He would launch a revolution and overthrow the Romans. He would be a military king like David and he would begin his divine campaign in Jerusalem. All those events would signal the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. Here's a problem. They didn't actually understand Jesus' business at all. Yes, he was the long-awaited Messiah, but he was not the kind of Messiah they thought he would be. He would be a suffering servant, not a warrior king. The kingdom he inaugurated would take place in human hearts, not in a huge palace. He was headed to Jerusalem, not to kill, but to be killed. His greatest glory would come, not with a crown on his head, but as he was nailed to a cross. Jesus stated his mission very succinctly earlier in this chapter 19 of Luke. Verse 10, words he uttered as commentary on the experience of, of he had with Zacchaeus, which happened right before this particular scene. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Not the saved, not those who are already here, not those of us who have already received God's grace, not us insiders, not those of us on the membership rolls. No, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. That was Jesus' purpose. That was Jesus' business. I know sometimes we refer some people, probably in as big a problem here at Mosaic, but I'm in a lot of different churches all the time. Sometimes I hear people refer to the church as a business. And there's some ways that's true. I mean, earlier when you were doing the offering, Caitlin, you 
flashed up the financial information, right? That's kind of a businessy thing, isn't it? You have to do business with the Clayton Fitness Center to secure these facilities. You've got to have a place to meet. So there's definitely some, a sense in which the church is a business and you have to do things according to sound principles. But let us never forget what the true business of the church really is. Like Jesus, our business is to seek and save the lost. Everything we do should be judged by that standard. Although we have fellowship activities, we're not a social club. And although we can host programs for children and adults led by very talented people, we're not entertainers. And although we teach people of all ages, we are not an educational institution. And although we serve needs in the community, we're not a social service agency. We're the church of Jesus Christ, the Ecclesia is the, the Bible word for it. It means the called out ones. The only organization in all the world whose purpose is to proclaim the good news in word and deed in our community and in our world of the kingdom of God being inaugurated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we never forget our business. In his book, Rethinking the Church, James Emery White tells an old story about a lighthouse keeper who worked on a rocky stretch of coastline. Once a month, he would receive a new supply of oil to keep that light burning. It's back in the old days when oil was the fuel for the light. His superiors told him that he was never ever to let that oil run out. That he must conserve the oil so that the light would never be distinguished. One night though, a woman from a nearby village came and she said, she, she begged him for some money for her fire to keep her family warm. He thought it couldn't hurt so he gave her a little bit. Another time, a father came and said, I have no lamp light for the lamp for my children at night. And so he gave him a little bit of oil. Another man needed some oil to lubricate a wheel on his farm. So he gave him a little bit too. And since all those requests seemed legitimate, the lighthouse keeper tried to please everyone by granting all of their different requests. Toward the end of the month, he noticed that his supply of oil was getting low. Soon it was gone. And one night, the light on the lighthouse went out. As a result, that evening, several ships were wrecked and dozens of lives were lost. His superiors came and asked him what happened and he was apologetic. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, these people came to me and they had very real legitimate needs and I didn't think it would hurt to give them just a little bit. Their reply to all of his excuses were quite telling. They said, you were given oil for one purpose and one purpose only. To keep that light burning. 
church does a lot of different things. And yes, needs to be operated according to sound business practices, but we need to always remember to understand our true business, to seek and save the lost. That is a matter of life and death. Now, not only does this parable understand, seek, uh, excuse me, not only does this parable address understanding the business, but it also stresses the importance of attending to the business even when the boss is away. When our family took that two-week vacation, my dad's biggest concern was how were his employees going to perform while he was gone? In the parable, the nobleman, the boss, charges his servants, his employees, with running the business, attending to the business, even while he's away. Now, as Jesus tells this parable, he's actually on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And even though his disciples don't understand what's about to come, Jesus does. He knows what's coming next, and he knows that he's about to leave them, that he will not be with them anymore, but that his mission, his purpose, his business is going to be their responsibility. And though they might not understand it at the time, as they reflect on this parable later, many years later, they'd be reminded of the importance of attending to the boss's business even after their boss, Jesus, is gone. Let me tell you a story about Mike Queen, who is a colleague of mine. Mike was pastor of First Baptist Church of Wilmington for many years. He's retired now. Um, but by the way, he helps us help churches undergoing leadership transition. So that's an aside, but he can help you too. But Mike, uh, his wife, Bobby, was in the Cold Stone Creamery business. Y'all know Cold Stone Creamery? Sure. Good stuff. Well, he told me one time that when the Cold Stone people decided to open a new store in Greenville, North Carolina, when Kim and I still lived in Greenville, it goes way back, he said he and Bobby or really Bobby, was given the opportunity to take on that franchise. And he said uh, they decided against it because Greenville is a pretty good ways from Wilmington and they just didn't know if they could run that business being so far away. Well, as it turned out, they really kicked themselves because that store had the most successful opening of any Cold Stone Creamery business in the nation up to that particular time. You see, unlike for-profit businesses, the church is not dependent upon the physical presence of any one person. Not even the physical presence of Jesus. Jesus told the disciples later that he would be leaving, but that the Holy Spirit would be coming. The Holy Spirit would be with them the Holy Spirit would be with them, their counselor, their comforter, their advocate. See, here's the reality, y'all. None of us is indispensable. Church members, lay leaders, staff members, and yes, even pastors come and go. The only constant is the business, the mission, and the promised 
presence of the Holy Spirit. Now there's a third aspect of this parable we need to explore. And that is being rewarded by the business. You see, in most businesses, there's an opportunity for the employees to be rewarded or, let's face it, sometimes even punished. When an employee does a good job, hopefully the boss will provide an award, a reward. I mean, some of you are bosses, some of you are employees, you know about that equation. But when an, when an employee underperforms, usually there's consequences for that as well. But let's focus on the positive for a moment. Sometimes the rewards are emotional. A commendation in the personnel file. An affirmation before all of your co-workers. Sometimes the rewards can be material. A, a, a plaque or a gold watch. Sometimes the rewards are financial. A bonus. A raise. More often than not though, let's be honest. More often than not, the reward is actually more work. The better job we do, the more they give us to do. And that's a tribute to who we are as good employees. Well, in the parable, the one who turned his one pound into ten pounds did receive a small financial reward, the one pound of the lazy guy. But his greatest reward consisted in being now made responsible over ten cities in the new kingdom. Similarly, the five-pound employee was rewarded with more responsibility over the five cities. So what's the reward for our faithfulness in attending to the business of the church? Well, to be honest with you, the rewards are almost never financial or material. No, the rewards of faithful and effective ministry are often more ministry. You see, the job is never finished. As the kingdom of God expands, as we do Jesus' business of reaching the lost, then he entrusts even more souls in our care. He gives us more work to do so that his kingdom may continue to grow may come on earth as it is in heaven and we get to be a part of the greatest work in the world. So the reward for understanding the business and faithfully attending to the business is usually more responsibility, more opportunity, more work to do. You know, I'm sure it was really, really hard for my family my father and mother, to arrange this two-week vacation from our family business way back in those days. But that vacation really brought us two wonderful rewards. First of all, it was a great reward for our family. I mean, it was the most, it was one of the greatest memories I have of my growing up years. Not only because of the wonderful places we went to, the things we saw, the things we did, but also just for the time that our family was able to spend together in a way we really couldn't in any other circumstance. Second, for the business, it provided my dad's employees with an opportunity to step up and assume even more responsibilities. 
the business didn't fall apart. In fact, it did quite well while we were away. There was a guy named David Newell. I remember David well. He was the young man my father left in charge. And he discovered management and leadership abilities that he never, ever knew he had. And then he was able to go on from that job and really launch his own life's work and career. That experience gave him the confidence and the effectiveness to serve more effectively, not only in the service station, but in many, many other ways in his life down the road. My friends of Mosaic, Jesus says that his business and ours is to seek and save the lost. And that business is dependent on no single individual except the Holy Spirit. But it involves every single one of us. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a responsibility. Nobody gets to slack off. Our boss is saying to us, do business until I come back. Brothers and sisters, this is a time of transition. But just know it's not a time to be lazy. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people right here in this community that need the love of God. And God is calling Mosaic Church to share it with them. There's so much work to be done. God's mission through Mosaic Church needs you. So friends, let's take care of business. Pray with me, please. Lord, we know that we can't do everything, but that you have responsibilities for each of us. Show us, Lord, how you would have us do your business right now. Using us and Mosaic Church to bring about your kingdom from Clayton to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.